0: We good now? It's going to get loud in a second. There it is. Sorry about that. Maybe we should pray again, huh? What do you think? <laughs> so, All right, here we go. So um, uh, as you guys well know, if you live in the region of uh, Florida, that we are well into the summer now. And the way that I always know that we're well into the summer, other than the fact that it gets really hot and humid, is that it seems like in the summertime, everything starts growing at a pace that is extraordinary in my yard. So where I was mowing the lawn uh, maybe uh every 3 months once now i'm mowing it every 3 hours once right i mean it's just it just never stops growing and then as stuff in the yard begins to grow uh, at, at, a, at, a, at a massive rate, it includes uh, weeds and natural things that we didn't put in the yard, right? So, so that nicely manicured world that we created suddenly gets invaded by all this other stuff. Now, now personally, my philosophy is, I mean, let it go all natural. I mean, uh, that stuff is coming no matter what you do. Let it just play out. In time, it'll turn into this beautiful beautiful smorgasbord of jungle. I like the jungle. There'll be flowers on the weeds. Many of them have flowers flowers then I say to my wife all the time, I mean, let's just let it go. I mean, let's just let it grow. It'll look a little ugly at first, but eventually it'll be beautiful. Unfortunately, my wife does not buy into that philosophy. And so every summer uh, we engage in a war against the natural things that are trying to invade our manicured yard, right? Now thankfully I have at my disposal an entire army of human beings that I can engage in that war <laughs> because I have eight children in my house and so I can engage them well in the war against the weeds. And so what I do is uh, a weekend like this weekend comes around once a while and we engage the children. We say, okay guys, come around. You belong to this family and, and that's awesome and then we have this home and part of our job is to go to war against the weeds in this home. And so we're going to send you out there and you're going to go to war and we're going to manage that. Now we have learned that if you send my army out in eights, Uh, all eight of them at a time, then it goes very badly for the managers. The managers don't do well with that, and then it goes very badly for those being managed, right? So uh, we've realized we got to send them out in like special ops teams, like two or three at a time. They go out into the hot uh, sun, they weed for a while, they get back in the air conditioning house, and then we send the next team out, and so that works really well. And then we get to manage well. So uh, this weekend was the big weekend. I I send the kids out. Here's how I do it. I usually go out first, uh, maybe the day before, and I take a small section of the yard uh, with all the the flowers and stuff, and I weed it. And then when I'm done weeding, I I rake it nicely, and and then I, I, I make everything look good again. I throw the stuff in the trash bag, and I take it away so that there's a small section that looks exactly the way the whole yard should look. And then what I do is I bring the kids out in their, in their small special ops teams and I gather them around and I say, okay, look here. Now look, this is my section that I weeded. Do you see what that looks like? Pay close attention. There's no green. Uh, there's no things out of place. Everything's in order. It's been raked. It's ready for the mulch, right? Now this is your section. Do you notice anything different? This one is green, full of stuff everywhere, things that don't belong. I want... Your section to look like my section. When your section looks like my section, come into the house, tell me, and you will be released back into the air conditioning, okay? So I send them out. Now, it usually takes me about 30 minutes to do my section. So when they come in after four and a half minutes and they go, I'm done. I usually go, hold, hold. Before you run upstairs to go relax, let's go out there and check. And you kind of see the the eyes, kind of the sparkle disappears. And you walk out Then you go and you check their section. And it looks like they took a rake and just went, looks pretty good to me. And so I go, okay, let me show you something. Okay, my section Your section, does it look the same? Don't say yes, because that would be a lie. So, no it doesn't. Keep weeding. And when it looks like mine, come get me. I go inside. About 10 minutes later, they're in the house. I'm done. Let's go check. Gather up. Does your section look like my section? No. Time number five. This is what goes on. And then eventually we get to that place where it's gotten close enough We're, you know, 89 minutes in I've had the, I'm tired, I'm sweating, it's hot out here, I'm thirsty. I'm like, I know, it's hard, I get it, but we're going to get this to look like that. It's going to happen. And then what I do is I, that final piece, I kind of rake the last bits for them and I pick up the last pause, I show them how to work details, and then I gather them up and I say, now look, now look, look, your section looks like my section. That's a win. That's a win. And then I do the little speech. It's the same speech I always do. Do it with multiple kids. I look at them and I say, look, here's the deal. You belong to this family, the Vanderett family. And there's nothing you're going to do or not do that is going to make you unbelong to this family, right? I mean, you're part of this family, and this family has a lot of benefit for you. Whether you came into this family through birth or adoption is irrelevant. There's a lot of benefit to being part of this family. And here's the deal. As part of this family, one of the things we do is we step into things like this together. And you get to be part of helping us continue to be the family that we are. Now when we do that, it's hard. I I get it. But the difference between somebody who is going to live an ordinary life, kind of lower end, maybe middle, never really change much, never really affect much, just kind of make it through, and a person who's going to set the pace, lead the pack, change the world, make things different, actively go out there and be the person they need to be, is this. It's what your stuff looked like the first time you called me out here and what it looks like now. See, when you come out and you engage in something and you just go, and you try to take the benefits of being part of this family without really being actively engaged in what we're doing, yeah, you can do that. You still belong, but you you will be missing out on an extraordinary opportunity to be an incredible story on this planet. And I tell him, God didn't put you in this family to be ordinary. And I'm going to beat it into you if I have to, but you're going to be extraordinary. That's how it works. You get to be part of this, and my job is to make that happen. Now, you could choose to stay ordinary, but if I can help it, I'm going to help you step in. And I'm gonna help you do things in such a way that they're better than anybody else would have ever done them so that you lead the pack, set the pace and become who God wants you to become. This is what I want for you. This is what it means to be part of this story. We are at a section in our journey through the book of Acts with the early New Testament church and the the understanding of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that is beginning to awaken a whole new reality in the gospel for us. We are at a critical juncture in the story where the full revelation of what this gospel is, this good news of Jesus, is beginning to expand in our minds to a point where we're starting to go, Wow, now I'm starting to realize what this freedom is that I've been called into. We've been following the good news of Jesus quite a while now. It started really in the Old Testament with the promises and realities, but it came to its most Beautiful point in the beginning of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where we discovered that a child was born onto planet Earth. His name was Jesus. And in and, and being born onto planet Earth, it was actually our creator and sustainer being born into human flesh so that he could come and live a life for us that we couldn't live, and then pay a price we couldn't pay, and then bring life back to us. And so as we traveled through the Gospels, we saw the life of Jesus unfold, and we discovered along the way Jesus is who he said he was he is the Messiah he is the promised one he is the creator and sustainer he is here for us and we watched him live we watched him die we watched him raise from the dead so that he could rescue our souls and set us free and that was an awesome ride and we're like wow who knew God came to rescue us And at the end of that discovery, we entered into the story of the book of Acts, the early New Testament church, and Jesus gathered around him some of his followers, and right before he ascended before their very eyes into heaven, he said to them, listen guys, here's how I want it to roll now. I want you to go out back to Jerusalem, the epicenter of where my people currently reside, and I want you... To tell them what you have seen, what you have heard, what you now understand, what I have told you about who I am and why I came so that they would know what you know now. He said it this way, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. I want you to go and be my witnesses to declare what you now know. And he said, and then I don't want you to stop in Jerusalem. I want you to be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And now that you know what you know, you have the kingdom of God, you know I am the kingdom come to earth, you know that the kingdom of God is expanding into the darkness of planet earth, I want you to go and tell everyone that and to make sure that you do not uh, lose the battle in that. I'm gonna empower you with the power of God himself. I'm gonna have the spirit of God come reside in you The same spirit that raised me from the dead, Jesus tells them. And you're going to have that spirit and you're going to go out in that spirit and you're going to be witnesses for the redemptive reality that I have just affected and people are going to come to know why I came and who I am and I'm here to rescue them. And we watched those guys go back to Jerusalem. The spirit filled them. Peter gets up and he starts the speech, right? And and he declares... This is who Jesus was and is. This is what he's done. He died, he rose, he's rescued our souls, and he has set us free from sin and death, not simply from the Roman Empire. It's bigger than we imagined. And the people are just unbelievable. That's amazing. Thousands come to know Jesus and the story begins. And we watch the story continue to unfold as the message of the gospel. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose to rescue our soul, set us free from sin and death. And we are now free in him. Wow. Wow. And that message expands then from Peter uh, into Stephen. Stephen uh, shares that. Then from Stephen, it bounces to others. And before you know it, we're following Saul on the road to Damascus. He, gets, uh, and he encounters Jesus on the road. He begins to preach the gospel. We watch this gospel message move through the Jewish world, uh, Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria. And then it enters into Galatia with Paul and Barnabas. But when it gets to Galatia, something fascinating happens with the gospel. As we are now preaching the gospel along with Paul and Barnabas, we see that the gospel is being preached in in, in mass to to the Gentile population. And then this starts having an impact that is interesting and creates an interesting dynamic. Yes, the Gentiles had received the gospel when Peter preached to Cornelius in the book of Acts, but it was a momentary pocket. Now it's sort of in mass. And as the gospel is being preached, some say, well, the Gentiles, in order to start living the life God's called them to live and have the the Messiah, Jesus, they need to step into the Jewish world, right? So they need to be circumcised. They need to submit to the law. They need to submit to the sacrificial system, and they need to... They need to live under those things so that they can be free of sin and death in Christ. And Paul and Barnabas say, no, 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 no. The gospel is bigger than that, so they do not have to be brought under that weight. They are free not only from sin and death, but they are also free from the obligation of the law, free from the obligation of the sacrificial system, and free from the necessity of an outward sign to belong because the Spirit of God is now in them. And the big argument breaks out because why wouldn't it? Well, if the Gentiles are free from those things, are the Jews free from those things too? And if the Jews are free from the law and the sacrificial system and an outward sign, should we just abandon them and go live the lawless life the Gentiles live? Well, that seems ridiculous. Well, then shouldn't the Gentiles come and live the life of of righteousness that we've been called into? That seems right. Well, isn't that a burden? Well, it is a burden, but it's a burden we've carried and they shouldn't. And so this begins to happen. And so in that, we head down with Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem. And we get to Jerusalem, we get to go sit in a room with, listen to this now, all of the elders of the church in Jerusalem, including guys like James, the half-brother of Jesus, I mean, we're sitting in the room with these guys, all the apostles I mean, there, And Peter's there, and Matthew's there, I mean, you're like, whoa, I'm in the room with these guys, I mean, what a room to be in. And we got to sit in that room, and we got to listen in to this grand wrestle with this question, if we have been set free by the work of Christ, by the gospel, To what extent does our freedom affect us? To what extent does it reach? Are we free from just sin and death, but not from the law and the sacrificial system and the outward display of circumcision? Or are we free from all of it? And if we're free from all of it, what does that mean and what are the implications? Does that mean we live lawlessly or not? I don't understand. And so they wrestle with it. We hear Peter give his speech. We hear Paul give his speech. We hear James get up and James says, okay, guys. We have wrestled, we have prayed, we have sought the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God has told us through our uh, plurality of leadership and wrestle that this is what we're going to declare. And it happens in that room. Something that's ordinary to us, but what a moment because it's affected everything for us. James declares, we are going to unapologetically tell everyone that in Christ the gospel has set you free totally free you are free from all of it you are free from sin and death free from the obligation of the law free from the sacrificial system that compensates for the mess we make of the law free from an outward sign of circumcision to belong you are free from all of it unapologetically and we're just like wow i mean that is epic epic for us And then after that, James says, but we are not going to call the Gentiles or the Jews into lawlessness. We are going to invite them into the story that since they are free, they get called into mission with us and they live their lives righteously for the sake of the gospel because though the gospel has set us free, the gospel is also binding us to Christ so that we live for him now. And they declare, let's go tell everyone that. And we stand in that room and like, whoa, that's awesome. Now, where does it go from here? From this moment on, it moves forward, and we get to travel in the story with them to see what they're about to do next. So grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 15. If you're using one of our Bibles that we provide, it is Acts chapter 15, also on page 601. Yes, we've finally moved from page 600. It's been nine months. We're on page 601. Buckle up for the next nine months, 601. Here we go. So uh, uh, page 601 Acts chapter 15, verse 22, and the story picks up here. Verse 22 says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. Now, I I love the start of this letter because what these guys have determined is Uh, If we now have this incredible news that we are unapologetically declaring that the gospel of Jesus Christ has set us free completely from all things, and yet calling people into mission and into living for Christ, this is an important message. If we send Paul and Barnabas back by themselves... They've been up in Antioch arguing with all those guys that are teaching circumcision as a necessity and the law as a necessity to have Christ as Savior. They're just going to go back and say the council said this and they're not going to be believed and it's not going to go well. So let's do this. Let's write them a letter from the council. We'll write the letter. We'll sign the letter so they can go. We have a letter from the council. That's all the elders of the church in Jerusalem and all the apostles of one accord, one mind. In this letter said, unapologetically you're free now live for Christ and so that's going to be awesome but if we send them up there with the letter it's just going to they're going to get up there and there's going to be questions about the letter and and how do we know you didn't just do this and so let's do this let's pick two of our key elders in this room and let's send them with Paul and Barnabas so that anything that comes up in the letter that is going to be questioned, that they can authenticate it with their words and say, oh, no, no, I was in the room. I'm one of the elders. Paul and Barnabas are telling the truth. This is what we came to, and we came to it unanimously under the Spirit of God. And so this is, this is a big deal. A big deal that the church in Jerusalem says this message is so critical to understanding the nature of the gospel, we are going to send elders with a letter with Paul and Barnabas back up to Antioch to bring clarity to this issue. Let's see what the letter says. Verse 23, with the following letter, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia... Greetings, since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instruction, it has seemed good to us having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So they start the letter this way. I love the way the letter starts. And it gives us such a, such a sense of what it takes to continue to bring clarity to the gospel. They write the letter and they say, Hey guys, this letter's coming from the elders and apostles in Jerusalem, your church leadership. We have prayed and sought, sought the Lord. We're sending these trusted guys with you. We want to start this way. We are so sorry that a bunch of guys came up to your town and confused you with a bunch of burdens that were not yours to carry. They came from Jerusalem, but we did not send them. Anybody you want to write that letter to? I feel like I want to write some apology letters to a bunch of my friends about the Christian world they've seen, don't you? Dear friends, so sorry about the Christians you've met. So sorry about what they said to you. So sorry about what they did to you. So sorry for the lives they lived. So sorry for the hypocrisy you saw. So sorry that they came from my camp. I didn't send them. Don't you want to write that sometimes? <clears throat> I mean, we have a lot to apologize for. Because oftentimes, in our liberties <clears throat> and our rights, we have made a mess of things. And so a lot of our friends have been so confused by Christianity and by Christians that they don't even know what to do with it all. And so this letter starts out appropriately, sorry for the confusion, by the mishandling of the teachings from our friends that came from Jerusalem that did not come on our authority and were not sent from us. What a beautiful way to set the pace. We know <coughs> it's been confusing. We're here to write some things, to bring clarity. And we've sent these men to bring clarity. Now, that they established the apology... They now start with the clarity. And their first clarity is, verse 27, We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. So, in other words, they will confirm the letter that we are writing. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burdens than these requirements. Now, this is a key moment because. In the scheme of things, when there's a lot going on and a lot of confusion, and a lot of people coming along claiming to know <coughs> what it means to follow Jesus. And what that's going to look like, our tendency and our temptation is, since I can't trust those people, I trust no one. I'm only going to read the Bible myself and trust the Holy Spirit and any authority in any way over me in the church in any way, I'm not going to trust that. That's what the enemy wants for us. What is being established here beautifully is this. There is always going to be a bunch of people throwing a bunch of junk around. But once you have established those who you can trust, that are tested and approved by their life and by the Spirit of God, in plurality of leadership, under the receptiveness of the Holy Spirit, they are leaders in the church, and they are supposed to be, and they are supposed to wrestle with things and bring clarity to those things for those of you that are part of the church. I love that they're saying here, sorry for the confusion with the guys that thought it would be good just to run around and and, and run their mouths. But now we, the leadership, have gathered in plurality under the Holy Spirit, and it has been good for the Holy Spirit and for us to bring clarity to this issue. What we're about to tell you, you can trust. You can take it to the bank. And we're going to send uh, uh, um, uh, Silas and, and, and Judas with you to, to speak these things to you so that there's a human being to unpack it. And then comes the part of the letter. I love this. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Now, before we read verse 29, I'm about to read it, I just want to give you a perspective here, okay? As of right now, before this letter's gone out, the requirements for them to have Jesus as their Messiah from those who came up to teach circumcision are as follows One, you need to be circumcised so that there is an outward sign of your belonging to God. Two, you need to take the whole law and you need to memorize that law and you need to apply that law to your life and you need to start living by that law because you live under the law and the law is what saves you along with this Messiah. So you need to go home. Here's the law. Go work on it. Hundreds and hundreds of laws. Two If you break any one of those laws at any time, you're going to have to meet a bunch of righteous requirements to fix yourself from what you just broke. Here's the book on righteous requirements. And it comes with a book on sacrifices that's going to help you sacrifice what you need to when you break the law. So, you got to get circumcised. You got to study the law, memorize it, practice it. If you break it, you got to do these things. If you do these things, you got to sacrifice these things. Memorize those, they're important. Start teaching your kids right away because they're behind the curve already. By the way, did I mention you have to be circumcised? That's where they started, right? So what you're about to read in this letter could be a 12-page document, and it would still be a summary of what they've already been told they need to accomplish in order to have Jesus as Messiah. And here's what the letter says. Buckle up, it's going to be a long ride. That uh, Here it is, no greater burden than these requirements <clears throat> that you abstain from, from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. <laughs> I mean, really? How awesome is that? You see, you read that and you're like, "Well, oh, we're free from everything, but there's these requirements But you go, no, 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 do you understand what they've just done? They're just, done. look, we're here to tell you unapologetically you're free from the obligations of those massive documents that were sent your way from circumcision, from all those things, but here's what we're going to ask you. This is the starting point we're going to give to you. As followers of Jesus Christ, as you begin to engage in relationship with Him, we want you to abstain from the foods that have been sacrificed to your gods and that have blood strangling involved and blood is involved, and from sexual immorality. Why pick these two things? Well, there's two very key reasons, and it was discussed in the Jerusalem Council, so now... You've got Silas and Judas there to kind of say, let's, let's talk through these. Why is the council starting you out with these things? Well, first of all, just so you know, the reason the list is so short is because you are free from the obligation of the law, so we don't have to start with a big, long list. We can start small. And just start with these things. Now, why these things? There's two major reasons. Reason number one, in the Gentile culture, which was a pagan culture, two particular parts of their life were always tied to the worship of gods, always the food that they ate that was sacrificed to their gods, and in the eating and using of that food, it was acts of worship, and in their acts of sexuality. Those two things were constantly tied to worship of other gods. So in both of those particular contexts, there was an act of worship going on, and so James and the brothers from Jerusalem say this, if you want to start following God, you don't have to do the, the big book of the law, circumcision, sacrifice. Here's the deal. Let's start with this. Fix your eyes on Jesus, love only Him. Abstain from eating the stuff that's been sacrificed to your idols and gods and the strangling of blood and those things because they're part of a life you had that is going to distract you from loving God. We love God now. We live for God now. And here's the second reason. Because now that you live for God, you are now concerned about the others around you as well. And in every town, remember this was in the Jerusalem council, in every town there are Jewish people that live in your town. And if you are eating a bunch of food sacrificed to idols, and you are acting out in sexual immorality, then what is your gospel going to mean to them? It's going to mean nothing to them. They're going to say, what kind of a gospel is allowing people to live in this immorality and this worship of idols and gods and eating unclean things? I want nothing to do with that gospel. You will offend your brothers and sisters and undo the work of the kingdom of God. So, we are calling you as a starting point to the greatest commands Jesus said. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So, let's start here. What are the big issues on the table that's causing you guys to be tempted back into crazy worship and offending those who you're supposed to be leading the gospel to now? Stop eating that stuff that's been sacrificed to idols and stop acting out in sexual immorality. Plus, when you act out in those things, it does damage to you and damage to others. This is a good starting point, wouldn't you say? I mean, I'd say this is a great starting point. It's not a starting point of bondage. It's a starting point of freedom. And this is what begins to happen. And then they say, farewell. And then they send the letter up there and these guys go up and they share with the church what's going on. Listen to this, it says this. So, then they, uh, they, so when they were sent off, They went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And there's the end point of this clarity. Everyone's rejoicing. Wow, this makes perfect sense. This is awesome. We are free. You see, what's happened with the gospel now is the movement of the gospel has expanded in our understanding of its full scope. The gospel has been traveling out into the world saying, this is who Jesus is. He came and lived. He came and died. He came and rose from the dead to rescue your soul and to redeem your future. And he has called you into a life where you are free from sin and death. Now the gospel has expanded, in, in, in the, in the, at least the understanding of the gospel has expanded this. That's all still true, and in addition to that, the gospel has set you free from the obligation of the law as a means to salvation, the obligation of the uh, sacrificial system, and an outwardness necessary sign of belonging because you have the Spirit of God now. So you are free from those things also, and yet in that freedom, you are called into an extraordinary story. You are free from these things, yes. In Christ, you are the recipients and benefactors of freedom, the letter says. Yet, you are called to use your freedom for the glory of God and not for your own liberties and rights. See, that's what the letter is saying. You are the benefactor and recipient of freedom. But do not use your freedom for your own rights and your own uh, liberties. Use freedom for the glory of God and the expansion of his kingdom. This is the life you are now called into. You remember that Spider Man quote, famous Spider Man quote? Uh, uncle sitting with Spider Man, he's now got his powers, just beating up a kid at school, and they're having to talk about the fight. And the uncle says, Listen, with great power comes great responsibility. And then, the, you know, Spider-Man argues back, well, he got what was coming to him. It was, I didn't start it. And his uncle says to him, I, I know, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure he deserved what happened to him. I, I'm sure he got what was coming to him. But just because you can beat him up doesn't mean you should. Who? you're like, yes. See, that's what we're being called into right now. We are being told, look. You have just been given an extraordinary freedom and invited to belong to an extraordinary family, to God's family. That's done for you. You didn't do that for yourself. It's already finished. You already belong. Like my kids, this is your family. This is it. But then as part of belonging to this family, you weren't called into this family to come live an ordinary story. You were called into this family because God has an extraordinary story for you to live. And so yes, by being called into the family of God as you collided with the good news of the gospel, you and I do have the choice under our freedom in Christ to be passive recipients of freedom. To just go, great, I got freedom now. I belong to God now. I am a king's kid now. I belong to the kingdom of God. And with that comes some rights and some entitlements, right? I mean, absolutely. I would, I would say that's true. We have incredible rights and entitlements. We're entitled and have rights to the entire inheritance of Christ. I mean, that's a big deal. But here's the temptation. In that freedom, we could passively be a recipient of that by saying, great, now that I belong to God, I've read the books, I've seen the quotes. Since you're a king's kid, you can have all these neat things on planet Earth. So go ahead, tell him you deserve them. And we go to God and we start asking God to fix all our stuff. Since I belong to you now, I ought to have a good life. I I ought to have a life without problems, without sickness, without struggle, without relational dynamics that are a mess, without financial issues. Because I belong to you now. So would you please fix all my stuff? We can start demanding from the kingdom of God, what do I get since I belong? Since I'm part of that now, what do I get? It's just like my kids. I belong to this family. You seem to have a lot of resources. Can I have some of them? I mean, it happens every day. Can I have those tennis shoes? No, 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 bud. Those are like $97. We buy the $30 ones. We have money. Yes, we do. And when you start making it, then you can buy those tennis shoes, okay? <laughs> you can go broke. See, there is this immediate temptation when you are given an extraordinary story of freedom to immediately start figuring out how you can extract from that story what you need. And we do have that right. We can choose that story. Just be passive recipients of freedom. But the Bible in all of its articulation, would wholly disagree with that philosophy. Say, no, 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 what a waste of a story that would be. Yeah, you'll still be free in Christ, but what a waste of what God wants to do. No, the Bible calls us to be active participants in freedom, not passive recipients of freedom. We don't walk in and say, great, I'm free now, what do I get? We walk in and say, great, I'm free now, how can I help? How can I help? What can I do? I want in on this story. So the Bible calls us and says, now listen... God hasn't only rescued you, he has made you his workmanship, his poem to the world, and he's going to do great works through you, works he's prepared in advance for you to do. He has invited you into the story to come say, come work alongside me, lay your rights down for me, lay your entitlements down for me, give them back to me, and on planet earth I will use you in extraordinary ways in things I could do myself without you, but I'm inviting you to do them with me. That's what we're called into. In fact, from now on, this critical principle that we're discovering about the gospel, that we are utterly free and yet we are invited to use our freedom for the glory of God and the expansion of the kingdom will now make its way into every letter that you will read from now on. This central theme is what will shape the way we begin to read the New Testament as the authors of scripture write and say, here's how the gospel works, here's how the gospel works. It's now moving with both the, here's the freedom of the gospel, but here's the implications to that freedom as well. Let me just show you a couple of examples. I'm gonna bounce. We'll just start in Galatians. So Galatians, uh, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul is writing, and and he writes these words. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. You hear that? Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but uh, through freedom serve one another in love. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, there it is. You're free. But don't use your freedom for your own liberties. Lay them down for the sake of loving others. Let's just jump to Ephesians, the very next book. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You're free, you're free, but but yet come, I'm inviting you to lay down your rights and liberties and, 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 and entitlements for the sake of the gospel. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit... Any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Then the rest of chapter 3 unpacks what we should abstain from, a much longer list than the letter from the council, and what we need to engage in. Do not be passive recipients of freedom. Be, be absolutely active participants in freedom. And then look at the very end of this little paragraph in chapter, in chapter 3, uh, uh, Colossians chapter 3 verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul writes in the book of Romans and he unpacks this reality that we've been called out of slavery but yet called into belonging to God. Romans chapter 7 verse 4, listen to this. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. See, we are free from the obligation of the law. Free from its need to rescue us for salvation. So, you have died to... To the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that you may bear fruit for God. You were not invited into the family of God freely, so that you could live an ordinary life, bearing nothing but whatever passively you can extract from the kingdom of God. You were called into a life in Christ so that you could bear fruit for the kingdom of God. This is your privilege. This is my privilege. Now look at this. In uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, he writes in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, interesting context here because uh, the question had come up, if I am a slave to another man and then I'm rescued by Christ, does that set me free from that slavery? Can I abandon my, uh, uh, my slavery then and, and live freely? And Paul writes to them, but he uses an incredible illustration. He writes in verse 17 of chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. So he's saying, stop with the circumstances. Stop looking at your circumstances and going, if, if, if I belong to Jesus, can I get out of these? Can I be done with these ones? I don't like the poverty thing. Can I be done with that one? I don't like the, the, the bondage thing. Can I be done with that one? Can, can I still get out of, out of this relationship? Can I still get out of that circumstance? Can I get out? See, that's what we tend to do. Now that I know Jesus, what am I set free from? But he's saying, whoa, let each man live in the story that you've been assigned that is not relevant because God is doing something extraordinary in that ordinary story. Now look what he says. He kind of makes the case for slavery and freedom to not be circumstantial anymore. Look at this. Look what he says. Verse 22 of chapter 7. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a free man of the Lord. If you were a bondslave when you came to Jesus, if you were bound to something or someone, in Christ you have transcended that and you're free. The circumstance is still there, But you now live free in Christ, so you don't need to worry any longer about the weight of that circumstance. Live in it for the glory of God. But look what he says. Look, look, look. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant to Christ. You see, look, stop with the freedom being circumstantial. If you were free when Christ called you, you are now bound to Him. And if you were bound when Christ called you, you are now free in Him. It is in Christ that you are wholly free and in Christ that you are wholly bound. It is to Christ that you are a slave of righteousness and freedom. And it is in Christ that you are free for righteousness and freedom. This is what Paul says. In that same letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul unpacks perhaps, which is one of of the most beautiful passages in understanding what it means that we have been set free, wholly free from all things in the gospel, and yet we are called and invited into a story where we lay ourselves down to become whatever we must for the sake of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19, it's on page 622 of the Bibles we're using. If you're interested in following along, page 622. It says this, for though I am free from all. How much is Paul free from? All. You see what I'm saying? No parentheses. No, no qualifications here. Though I am free from all. From all persons, from all things. Paul will, read, will, will, will write to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 8 and say, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ Jesus. Nothing. Not angels, demons, or anything else. Though I am free From all, I have made myself a servant to all. See that? I've made myself a servant to all. Why? That I might win more of them. Win them to what? To the Jews, I have become a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. You see, he's saying, I lived under the weight of the law, doing the things of the law for the sake of those under the law. I don't live, it's not an obligation, it's a choice because it matters to those who are under the law. Look at this. That I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things. To all people, that by all means, I might save some. And here's the sentence you got to pay close attention to. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. That I may share with them in its blessings. See, what Paul is saying is, listen, everything I do now, I submit myself to Christ and do whatever I need to do for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. Whatever I must become, my liberties and rights do not matter. My freedom is already established. I already belong to the family. You know what this letter is doing that was just sent out from the uh, Jerusalem council to the Gentiles and Jews in Antioch? This letter is a note going out to them, and it's gathering them around the yard. It's, come, here. come here, Gentiles. Come here, Jews. Come here, come here. Okay, okay, let me say something. Okay, okay. My kingdom, your kingdom. You see a difference? Ooh, yes, <laughs> beautiful, awesome, free, light, life, dark, death, horrible, suffering, terrible. Which one do you want to be a part of? Well, I like this one. Okay, now good. Now here's the deal. You live on earth in that kingdom. I've come to bring this kingdom here and to undo all the weeds. So here's what I want you to do. Come 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 here. I'm doing the work. I'm going to finish the work, but I'm inviting you in to come weed the yard with me because you belong to my family. So I want you you to start weeding, okay? And when you're done weeding, and that looks like this, come get me. All right, so he goes out, and then we start weeding, right? And three minutes in, we're sweating a little. It's a little hot. We're a little thirsty. And we're like, oh, God, I'm done. And he comes out, and he gathers us up, and he goes, okay, okay, okay. Does that look like this? mm Okay, okay, okay. I want that to look like this, both in you and around you, okay? So I want you to keep weeding, and when you're done, come get me. And then he goes away. The third time around, we're standing like this, and we're like, it's hot, and it's hard, and I'm thirsty, and there's an air-conditioned house in there I want in. And he goes, I know, I know it's hard out here and I know it's hot and you know what, you can choose to go inside and be a passive recipient of this freedom but that's not why I brought you in this family. I brought you in this family because I've got a great story for you and I want you to jump into the story and if I let you go inside right now then you will miss out on everything I made you to be. So even if I have to beat it into you, you're gonna be extraordinary. See, that, that's, that's right there. And he's like, now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep weeding but the weeds are growing faster than I can pull them out. Keep weeding. And we keep weeding. Someone actually said to me after one of the services, I think I'm going to tattoo right here on my hand, keep weeding. Just keep weeding. So every time I him, keep weeding. It's overwhelming. Let me keep weeding. And I, and I said to her, here's the deal. I think that's a great idea. And I think when you die, as you travel from this temporal planet to the other one, the tattoo will magically change on your hand, and it'll say, I kept weeding. See, isn't that what we all want if we know Jesus? See, we, we want to end up in the story of eternity not in a story where we go, oh, thankfully I belong to the family and I get into eternity. I was a passive recipient of freedom, so I still get to be part of the family. But at the end of the day, when all my works are cast into the fire, to see what was done for the sake of my father and my God, where I weeded my heart out for him, even though I didn't see any reason for it. See, I want to, I want to stand there and I want to watch the tattoo change. He kept weeding. And I want to say, "Well, well done right now. It was hot, it was hard, you were thirsty, you were tired, you were sweating, the thorns were hurting your hands, but you kept weeding. Because at the end of the day, here's the deal, whether my kids get the weeding right or not, I'm still going to finish the garden, aren't I? I mean, if they're tired and they go inside, I'm still going to come pull the rest of the weeds. I'm not going to leave it like that, my wife won't let me. And so, um, (laughs) I will will weed it out, and it'll look great whether they do it or not. And if they don't do a good job, are they still going to belong to my family? Yes. Do they still get to call Vander their home? Yes. All that's still true. But if I don't push them to weed, then they lose. I don't. It's easier for me to weed it myself. But it's good for them to be part of it. And this is God's story for us. I could, I could just take you home, but I got a whole story for you on planet Earth, its mission. And yes, you're going to sweat a lot, it's going to be hard, and you're going to feel overwhelmed, and you're going to feel like you want to give up, but keep weeding. Because I promise you this, I will finish the work whether you're a passive recipient or an active participant. But if you choose to be an active participant, you will share in the work. And you will be able to say, I kept weeding. Oh, I kept weeding. Yes, I did. And that's the story I want. a story that says I kept weeding. When the weeds were outgrowing me, I kept weeding. I just kept going. Whenever I got tired, he came alongside, he put his arm around me and he said, I know you're thirsty, here's a little bit of water. I know you're tired. I'm with you. Keep weeding because trust me, it's just a few hours out in the yard. Then you're going to be back in the house, relaxing in the air conditioning. We have an eternity waiting for us in an air conditioned house to chill. we got a few hours on planet earth. That's what the Bible says. It's like a vapor. a Few hours here. It feels like a long time because it's all we know, but it's just a little while. So keep weeding. And how do we do that? How, how, How do we get out there? It's not actually that complicated. See, it's like the letter. It's not like, okay, first I want you to go out and memorize Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and, and Exodus as well while you're at it. And, uh, and then I want you to apply those laws to your life starting today. And then I want you to go ahead and, and really start working your way through the sacrificial system. And uh, if you have a chance, get circumcised. You see, that, that's not what it is, right? That's not what this says. See, what, what, the, what the simplicity of the letter said is this. Uh, stop eating the sacrifice, sacrificed foods, abstain from sexual immorality, start there. If you do that, it will go well for you. Farewell. And so here's what I get to say to you. You want to know where you start weeding? Simple. Walk out these doors. Walk into the most immediate relationship you currently have that may be going well or struggling. Where, where is the first point that you just engage? Are you a spouse? Good starting point. There you go. Start there. Are you a parent or a child of a parent? Good. Uh, are you a, a roommate? Are you a coworker? Uh, Are you a student at a school with other students that you're competing with? Are you on a sports team? Where is it that your immediate and obvious relationships currently exist? Both the good ones and the complicated ones. Start there. It's a good starting point. Go out there and lay yourself down for their sake and stop demanding that they lay themselves down for your sake. Just start there. Not complicated. Just start doing that. Go out into your first circumstance. What, what are your circumstances right now? Are they, are they tough? Are they difficult? Are they overwhelming? Do you feel like the more you're weeding, the faster the weeds are growing? Did you, are you, were you about to throw in the towel? Don't worry, so was I. I got eight kids. I want to throw in the towel every day. But what do you do? You, you, you get back there. You, you kneel down, all sweaty and hot, and you, and you start weeding. Because here's what you know. This, this yard's going to look beautiful when God's done with it. And right now, I, got to sh- I get to share in it. And so even though this is hard, I'm going to work so that I can say, I, I kept weeding. Jump right back in, whatever circumstance it is, whatever relationship it is right now that needs you to die to self for the sake of the gospel. Become what you need to become for them. Uh, do you have resources or, or lack of resources? Shall we start there? <laughs> lack of them, lots of, and you're holding on to the little you, you have left. You've got to keep me safe. i got to be safe. And God's going, oh, let it go. Trust me. Give more. Give more. Be more generous. Let go of more. Is, is that what's happening? And you're like, I get it. I get it, I'm scared too. But, but here's the deal. What, what this is saying is right now, get out there in your relationships and your circumstances and your resources and say, God, I, I don't want to live as a passive recipient of freedom demanding that you give me good relationships, good circumstances, and good resources. I want to take the relationships, circumstances, and resources I currently have, and I want to come to them and I want to say to you, what do you want me to do with them? I'm ready to lay myself down and do whatever you need. I want to weed in these areas so that I can bring life to death, light to darkness, freedom to bondage because you have empowered me to that end. This is my freedom. Your freedom and my freedom is not that these things will get better. If that's what you get, then that's the lesser freedom. They may get better. I'm not saying they won't. I'm just saying that's not our great freedom. Our great freedom is that we get to actively participate in making them redemptive because He's told us we can. That's a much cooler story. Keep weeding. So when you die, it says, I kept weeding. Let's pray. God, thank You so much for this incredible revelation that the gospel has not simply declared to us that You came to rescue our souls and save us from sin and death, but actually that you've set us free from sin and death. You've set us free from the obligation of the law. You've set us free from the obligation of the sacrificial system. You've set us free from the obligation of an outward sign to belong to you. You've empowered us with your Holy Spirit. You've sent us out on mission. And now you have obligated us to the simple reality that says, since you are free, use your freedom for my glory, not for your own liberties and rights. May we live in that truth. May we seek out ways in our current relationships, in our current resources, in our current circumstances to say, I'm done trying to extract from God's kingdom and from those around me what I need and I'm ready to actively engage in the redemptive story to give what I have for the sake of the gospel and the sake of others. May we become whatever we can in your strength for those around us so that they would better know what it means that we are free. May we do that to those who know you first, to our loved ones in our biblical community, and then to those who don't know you, so that all will see in us the extent of our freedom, that we do not need relationships and circumstances and resources that set us free, because we are in those to bring freedom to them. May we live on mission, God, actively participating in redemption, rather than living Lives that are obsessed with what you can bring us and passively receiving whatever we can extract from your kingdom. God, write great stories through us. Great stories in the small ways that we live every day so that people would see.